reaching across the country for the biggest sports news this weekend. From Atlanta to Seattle, from Boston to LA, this is Big Sports Radio. Larry Smith, Mike Hagley, Brad Sturdy, our producer, Tony Cordero, and Joshua Ewing working audio for us, making sure we sound right. It's Big Sports Radio, and we have got a big sports show for you. Um, hey, lots of stuff to talk about coming up here. Um, the NLRB making a ruling on Dartmouth athletes becoming uh, um, like employees. Uh, what does that mean? Where are we headed? We know where we're headed, but how do we get there? Well, to break it down for us, Steve Berkowitz from USA Today is going to talk to us about that. Also, Brandon Gauden, he's a veteran play-by-play man for Big Ten Games on Big Ten Network and FS1. He's also the Braves, Atlanta Braves play-by-play guy, about to enter his second season. He's standing by in the second half hour to talk to us as well. And Tony Altimore also coming up to talk uh, a little NIL, a little uh, sports business with the expansion of the Big Ten and the SEC. Also, Doug Feinberg is here to talk a little women's hoops. And speaking of, uh, Caitlin Clark, guys, um, she entered the week 66 points uh, away from taking over uh, Kelsey Plum as the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history. Um, it's just it's amazing um, what she has done for not just Iowa and the Big Ten, but the sport of women's basketball. And I think for female athletes everywhere, it's it's amazing uh, what she has done. She's fun to watch, and uh, we all get a chance here to witness history. Kaylin Clark is must-see TV. She sells out arenas on yeah. the road. She is that level of uh, of player. Um, I Now, the real test will be if she can actually sell out a WNBA arena because they don't even know that they have extra seats in the upper deck in those arenas. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I, I, I get it. I don't understand why there's so much like, it seems like there's a lot of like jealousy or almost animosity towards her from different people. You know, Cheryl swoops going on and saying, you know, well, she did it in extra years, so it shouldn't count. And well, no, she didn't. Well, she got a COVID year. Well, that's next year. Yeah. Do you realize what her numbers, what she would do to these records if she did take her COVID year? All the records would be hers and no one would ever touch them forever and, and, and forever. And so I think she's doing this in four years, just like every other person before her. You know, if we really want to go back, let's just give Pistol Pete all the records because he only got to play three years. So um, these are it's just weird to see this, the animosity towards her and like saying, well, she won't be able to do that stuff in the WNBA. I don't know, man. You, the ball still, the basket's still ten feet, and the ball's still the same size, and she makes a lot of shots. Yeah, and and I, I don't know. I I can't tell sometimes if it's, you know, what the issue is. If it's the old timers, you know, talking about how everybody's better, you know, in the past than they are today. It's hard to to figure that. But Caitlin Clark has has moved herself into a. Um, She's a, a dynamic basketball player who now is is like uh, a, one of the Paul brothers in terms of the, her ability to influence. And that's just a whole new creature that we really haven't seen before. E- even Michael Jordan, if you think about him in college, as famous as he was for hitting that shot against Georgetown, I'm not certain that as many people knew who Michael Jordan was as do, as know Caitlin Clark right now, which... I know that's a big thing, and there's Michael Jordan fans who have just passed out as I say that. But she, she is, she's even got her own that that little you know C's going in the other direction. Her little logo for her clothing and stuff. And I'm telling you, this is just the beginning. 
It's it's not going to get smaller. And, and I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that there's been a player come into the NBA since LeBron as hyped as she is at the collegiate level. Like, I mean, and I'm not saying there aren't guys that are great, right, better right. players, but I'm just saying she is a player that has really changed the game in the, in the way that uh, Jordan did or in the way that, and I'll go back to this. The NBA was kind, kind of dying a death knell in the late seventies. Remember nobody, the oh, yeah. viewership was terrible until bird and magic. Yeah. And it was the bird magic NCAA championship game. And then their, their, their rivalry going into the NBA that really revitalized the NBA. And then of course, Michael Jordan comes along and, and it changes. She might be the, might have the ability to help the WNBA and kind of keep it. I, I don't know. I don't want to say afloat because the NBA keeps it afloat, but to make it a more marketable thing. I mean, people will want to see her play. You know, you know who I think she's more analogous to. There was a period of time when, in in my opinion, when the NBA was kept alive by one man, and that was Dr. J, yeah. and he kind of kept things going. And then you had Larry and Magic came in, and the you know the rocket started to take off. And I wonder if she could be the Dr. J. Or the really cool thing is, maybe she has a opponent. And if you've got that and you've got somebody who's famous and they do, you know, they, they can go well as adversaries, that story writes itself. Well, especially Angel Reese will also be in the WNBA at some point. And so you get that rivalry. Um, they, they may meet again in the NCAA tournament next month. We will see. Uh, but you're right in terms of when you talk about the, um, uh, the women's sports at an all time high in terms of viewership, uh, participation, interest, um, you know, she's coming in at the right time and what a great marketing tool for the WNBA. Um, like you said, like Brad's coming in as a rookie. I mean, Brittany Griner was a star already when she got to the WNBA and she had nothing compared to what Caitlin's got going right now. So Caitlin Clark, Iowa up to number two uh, in the rankings. Uh, by the way, what a job, uh, Ohio state, by the way, we should say that as well up to number five already this week, but Iowa at Nebraska, uh, a state which loves its women's sports. Hello, 92,000. Um, in the football stadium, the Memorial Stadium, to uh, watch volleyball uh, last fall. And that's a 1 o'clock Eastern game, and that can be seen on Fox. So, again, a nas national broadcast. We will see what the numbers will be because already it was Caitlin and uh, Angel Reese, Iowa, LSU, in the title game, drawing almost $10 million last year in the uh, NCAA championship game. We'll see what kind of numbers Fox gets uh, for this. Hey, Speaking of numbers, uh, a lot of numbers, a lot of zeros when you talk about the contracts for the Big Ten and the SEC. And now it's come out in the last few days that uh, those two conferences have formed an advisory panel. Uh, they want to, I've seen some people saying don't call it an alliance, but I don't know really, you know, if it makes a difference. Um, that they're going to talk about, you know, kind of moving forward. We know that both teams are going to expand here coming up in, in uh, July. The Big Ten going to 18 teams, SEC going to 16 teams. And already hearing from both commissioners, they're not happy with um, the fact that the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams, that it hasn't, the format hasn't been set. You read through the lines here, you kind of see where uh, these two probably flexing on the rest of college football. No question. I, I think what you're going to see is them kind of push forward. Like if you win one of the divisions in the Big Ten and you make the conference championship game, you get an, I think they're going to try and get an auto bid for each di for division winners too to make sure that they're like there's there's something there or maybe get four spots for each conference out of the 12 and and, and let's be honest 
if they're if you take the 12 best teams, probably eight of them are going to come from the Big Ten and SEC every year. I wouldn't want to put that in writing, though, so I get why they wouldn't want to do that. But I, I do think that, generally speaking, you know, if these teams are going to play each other, and we've talked about this before, every conference needs, like, losers. And, and this sounds, that sounds bad. But you got to have those teams at the bottom. They have to be able to play some competitive games and and still make the college football playoff because that's the end goal for many of these programs. Yeah, you, you know, I think they're – they have no trust that the NCAA fighting legal battles on three different, four different, five different fronts and losing. They have the Big Ten and SEC has no trust that their leadership will move forward into this new world. And so I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're like, we trust us way better than we trust these guys. And I do think that they're going to want eight out of the 12. And if they move into the four, six team divisions, then you're going to want your division champions to have that opportunity or your top four teams. You may go NBA style and they're going to start asserting their leadership now. And, and then you'll see if it'll be those two and maybe the, maybe the big 12 or one of the, you know, one of the other conferences can come together and you have three big, big conferences, but it, I think these two are going to be the lead dogs. Oh, there's yeah, no question. Now we should add, by the way, the college football playoff, the current agreement, if you will, even though they're expanding to 12 teams, this agreement as it stands ends in 2026. So don't expect any changes in the next couple of years, the first couple of years of the expanded conferences, but this is kind of, again, looking to the future. Um, but again, we're going to talk to some experts here and kind of get uh, their thoughts here uh, in these next couple of hours uh, in terms of where this is headed. And um, I think we're going to be inter you know, interesting to find out kind of what they have to say. With that, we take a timeout up next. Steve Berkowitz of USA Today talks to us about uh, the potential of college student athletes becoming college employees. The very latest on that next on Big Sports Radio. How would you like to get high-speed internet for your home for less than $2 a day? That's right. For about 50 bucks a month, you'll get lightning-fast internet. Are you paying less than 50 bucks a month right now for your internet? Then call Whole Home Connect right now for blazing-fast internet at 50 bucks a month with no price increases, no hidden fees, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. It's a great deal. And guess what? You can try it for 15 days. If you don't like it, you get your money back. But you're going to love it. And you're going to love the price. Internet for your home for 50 bucks a month. That's less than 2 bucks a day. Plus, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. And our 15-day guarantee. Call now. 800-215-0341 800-215-0341 800 That's 800 215 41. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt. That's what you do. It's not your fault. It's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. 
It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-507-7293. That's 800-507-7293. One of the big stories, uh, so many big stories really off the playing field, if you will, this week. Um, Some great reporting on what's going on at Dartmouth in terms of uh, the National Labor Relations Board. Um, and them actually being called athletes. I don't want to mess this up, so I'm bringing the experts. Uh, the guy who wrote the piece, uh, Steve Berkowitz, he's a reporter for USA Today. We are thrilled to have him on here for some explanation. Uh, Steve, welcome to the show. Hopefully I got that little small part right. Either way, correct me and tell us what's going on. This is really big. Sure. Um, what's, what's happening here is that a regional director of the National Labor Relations Board uh, has made a finding that uh, the men's basketball players at Dartmouth College are school employees, and she has ordered a union vote, so a vote on whether or not, among the players, whether or not to form a union. Um, and so that's the basic crux of what's gone on here. This is really similar to what went on uh, roughly 10 years ago with the Northwestern football team. Uh, there was a similar circumstance. Uh, a similar complaint was filed, similar hearings were held, and a similar finding was made uh, by the regional director uh, you know, in the Chicago area at that time. Um, and so what ended up happening in the Northwestern case, a vote was taken of the players, but the results of that vote were never made known because Northwestern exercised its right to request a review of the regional director's decision by the full five-member National Labor Relations Board in Washington. And what ended up happening was the NLRB full board uh, made sort of like it was kind of a technical decision, but they determined that they didn't have jurisdiction uh, in the matter because the way uh, the National Labor Relations Act is set up, it applies to private employers or in this instance, a private school. And because the National Labor Relations Act charges the NLRB with maintaining sort of order within a, an employment uh, or an industry, they found that if they if they had acted and you know went through and approved the regional director's finding and put all that in play with Northwestern, that that would have created sort of a chaotic environment in major college football because you would have a circumstance where it's not applicable to public schools. Um, so what's going on here, Dartmouth presumably will ask the NLRB to review the case, which so there'll be a vote, but we won't know the outcome of it. And in the meantime, this appeal will go on to the NLRB, which will take quite a while. The it, I believe it was almost a year and a half uh, in wow. the Northwestern case before the NLRB ruled. And even if the NLRB backs the regional director's decision, Dartmouth would have the option to then appeal that ruling into into a federal appeals court. And federal appellate courts take a significant amount of time to make decisions. So, you know, unless Dartmouth comes to an agreement with the players in some other form or fashion, uh, this is going to spool out potentially for several years. Wow. So it it joins the chaos that we see going on across, across college sports right now. 
Is it fair to say that the NCAA seems to be going to court, fighting yesterday's battles today and setting themselves up for losses? Because even this latest round with Tennessee, it, it just, it seems, I, I don't know how they enforce anything anymore. Well, I mean, first of all, you got to keep in mind, the NCAA isn't going to court. The NCAA right. is getting sued. Right, exactly. Um, so, so it's not like they're being given a choice in the matter. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, for the most part, they're defending these cases. Now, they, you know, reached a sort of a, a temporary settlement in one of the lawsuits that uh, came up around the transfer restrictions, forcing athletes to have to go through a waiver process if they want to transfer more than once. And so the NCAA sort of backed off on that. But yeah, I mean, in many, you know, most of these instances, they're, yeah, I mean, they're attempting to defend their, their rule structure. Um, I mean, and they're embroiled in yet another, in another NLRB complaint, which is going before an administrative law judge in uh, Los Angeles. And that case involves uh, football players, men's and women's basketball players at University of Southern California. And that complaint has been lodged against uh, USC, the Pac-12, and the NCAA. And that case differs from the Dartmouth case in that uh, generally, like remember when I said that the NL, the National Labor Relations Act deals with private employers. What the uh, NLRB local office in LA is attempting to do is pursue what's called a joint employer complaint and making the saying that the players are jointly employed by the university, by the Pac-12, and by the NCAA. And because the NCAA is this big national organization, if they if the uh, administrative law judge buys that argument, that notion of joint employer status in this case sort of gets you around this being limited to private entities. And so a, 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 an adverse ruling for the NCAA in that case potentially sets up the prospect of labor organization in public schools, you know, and then you run into some conflicts with state laws that don't allow public employees to be unionized. But it 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 more it definitely expands the field of what you're looking at here beyond what's going on with Dartmouth. And there are some ways that Dartmouth, the Dartmouth case could could spread. And we can talk about that if you'd like. Yeah. Talking with Steve Berkowitz of USA Today again about this uh, big decision uh, a few days ago with the uh, Dartmouth basketball players. Uh, let's try to get down the line just a little bit. Um, and I guess here's a big question. It, it feels like with all the changes and we're talking about it's 2024 and, and of course the Big Ten and SEC are expanding. The ACC also adding teams, but they don't have the big money contract. The other two conferences do. Um, it feels like this is, even though we're not there yet, and like you said, it's going to be years down the line before this is resolved. But we are heading in that direction where student athletes, we may look up in six, seven, eight years, and they're considered employees of these universities, kind of, or, or there's some kind of salary cap, as Rick Patino talked about this week. Or there's it, it, it feels like this is another small step in that in that direction, even though we have a long way to go. Agreed. No, I mean, there's there's no question, and sort of what that ends up looking like you know, remains to be seen. I mean, Charlie Baker has, uh, the NCAA's president, Charlie Baker, has been asking Congress to pass a law that would sort of create this sort of special kind of employment, quote unquote, employment status for uh, college athletes so that they're not declared employees of the schools in the traditional sense of employment uh, for 
a whole variety of, of reasons that get pretty far flung pretty quickly. Um, but the NCAA and the schools are desperately trying to avoid a circumstance where athletes are declared to be employees uh, of the schools. And, you know, how this will manifest itself in terms of the compensation that athletes are able to get uh, even beyond what they're getting from NIL. I mean, the way Charlie Baker's propo latest proposal uh, to address this looks at it is, is sort of bringing all the name, image, and likeness stuff in-house with the schools. The schools would be able to make NIL deals with the athletes. There really wouldn't be any limit on the amount of money that athletes could get, and it would be a much more deregulated uh, environment relative to the NCAA rulebook. Mm. What that, again, what that looks like over time, I mean, you know, that's anyone's guess. And it may also end up having to do with how the schools are aligned with each other, whether or not you have like a super conference or a rearranging of what, you know, the current conference and, you know, what is currently known as the power four or power five structure looks like. When you when you take a look at this, there's a there's a lot of directions. What do you see the pathway being if you had to to try to predict the future? Understanding that that you know there's some X factors, but do you see a more likely path for this to head down? Um, I, I'm not sure what path it will head down or how it will get there, but it seems pretty clear that over time, and I'm not sure whether that time frame is a year, two years, five years. And whether it's going to go through, you know, is it going to go through the courts? Is it going to go through the National Labor Relations Board? Is it going to go through Congress? What the the way you're going to get there? But I mean, the, the, you know, there there's clearly going to be a circumstance where athletes are going to be able to get greater and greater uh, compensation. And the the question is whether or not ultimately you end up either with a revenue, sh essentially revenue sharing between the schools and the athletes, particularly in men's basketball and football, and to some extent in women's basketball and potentially other revenue-generating sports. They may not operate at surplus, but, you know, baseball generates revenue. Um, they're not, they may be, the schools may be operating the sport at a loss, but they're bringing in money. So, you know, you know I think you're going to end up, at, at, in some form or fashion, whether it's through collective bargaining, through some other form of uh, of, of revenue sharing or compensating of the players, that that's going to continue to expand. You know, another possibility in this, I can see where, and we're already seeing where there's this partnership, this alliance uh, advisory panel combined with the presidents and count, uh, chancellors and athletic directors from the Big Ten and the SEC. I, I can also see where this goes down. I think you would agree where they decide not to mess with the NCAA and they go off and do their own thing and set their own rules depending on how this comes down, they've got smart lawyers. They may figure out a way to kind of do their own organization. And you look up and we've got two super conferences of, of 20, 24 teams each. Um, and they've become just a, you know, a Saturday version and football wise anyway, of the NFL with salary caps, et cetera, where they're kind of making their own rules, depending on how this plays out. Sure. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely a possibility. And then it becomes like in terms of whether or not that occurs sort of under the broader umbrella of the NCAA, or not, you know, is a is a whole other question. I mean, don't forget right now, I mean, the one thing that's sort of tethering together what is currently division one sports is the basketball tournament. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if there were a group of conferences that decided they wanted to go their own way, 
okay, are you, you know, are they prepared to be the ones that blow up the basketball tournament as you know it? Yeah, and, and which, you know, Jim Delaney kind of hinted at that 10, 12 years ago, you know, when he was talking about setting up the Big Ten network. But is there any advantage to the schools trying to take the football program and make it separate from the rest of the athletic department? I, I I was just wondering if, you know, you've got you, – it affects so many things in terms of Title IX – with the number of scholarships required. And of course, obviously those players will be higher compensated than, than other ones. Is there, is there, have there been any, any talk of having them be kind of affiliations with the universities, but not an actual part of that athletic department? I, if, I think if you go down that road, where you're sort of separating football from the rest of the athletics program and potentially from the rest of the educational enterprise, that starts getting really complicated um, on the, on a myriad levels, um, whether or not there should be separate governance within sort of the traditional college structure, whether there should be separate governance, um, and sort of financing of football is, you know, that that's a little bit different question, but you know, the time you're still going to have to deal with title nine. I don't, I don't sense any appetite anywhere by anybody that would result in, okay, let's split football out of the consideration for Title IX. There's, you know, you, that, that would require uh, congressional action, and that ain't happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we can't get regular bills on passed. It, on also. anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's, that's a non-starter. Um, we've got about a minute left, and, and so give me kind of, you know, to wrap this up, um, because, boy, we could, this is fascinating. We could talk about it for a long time. What's the next step in this? I mean, in terms of the next few months, what's what's the next role that uh, the next piece that's going to happen in this process? Well, I mean, you've got a series of court cases that are rolling along here that are sort of the probably to be the next things to be decided. I mean, the Dartmouth thing has now been decided. It'll sort of be sort of put on hold for a while. You'll have what's going on in the in the L.A. version of the NLRB. There is a case pending before the Third Circuit. Uh, the U- third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, that's also a labor case and involves the recognition of athletes uh, under the Fair Labor Standards Act, which would essentially make the athletes hourly wage earners. And um, that is th- the, the appellate court would be setting the stage for a trial at the lower court level. So I think that may be kind of the next shoe to drop. Uh, that decision has people have been that that case was sort of wrapped up about a year ago. Um, and so people have been waiting for an opinion from the Third Circuit. And then you have this this other uh, antitrust litigation pending in California, the House case. You have this multi-billion dollar damages award that's sitting out there that may go to trial late 2024, early 2025. But the, the Third Circuit decision, whatever he refers to as the Johnson case, is I think because of the next thing that may drop out. Okay. Okay. Well, this is, uh, listen, we appreciate your time and thank you for, um, first, your, your great reporting and for giving us some clarity and for all of our listeners as well. This has been great stuff. We hope we get you to come back on again and talk more about this um, because this is something that we're just beginning to scratch the surface. As you well know, um, this ain't going anywhere. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me on and I'm delighted that you'd have me back because yeah, there'll be 
This is, this isn't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can count on that. We'll be calling very soon. Steve, thanks so much. Steve Berkowitz, uh, once again, reporter for USA Today. Um, we really, really good reporting on this. And again, as you can see, this is just kind of uh, one piece of this. It's been ongoing and there's much more to come. If you get a chance, if you're on X, give him a follow. Uh, by Berkowitz, B-Y Berkowitz is uh, his handle on X. We follow him. We think you should as well. Steve, again, thanks for your time. We'll talk with you soon. Hey, Thank Steve, you. Well, you got it. We've got lots more to come. Quick time out, and the conversation continues right here next. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain until one day the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today, Bill lost his job and his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now to get away and get treatment. 800-980-1761 That's 800-980-1761. How would you like to get a free $100 prepaid MasterCard and save money on your television bill? Then call right now. Make the switch to Dish TV. For a limited time, we're offering a two-year price guarantee. That's important for those of you on a fixed budget to know your prices won't go up for two years. Plus, you have hundreds of channels, lots of live news and sports, movies, and more. And when you call right now, you can also ask about our discounts for seniors and those of you in the military. So, make the switch to DISH right now. Pick up the phone and call. Enjoy your television like you are meant to. And when you sign up today, we'll also give you a $100 free, prepaid MasterCard. Call right now, ask about our senior discount, our military discount, and your free $100 prepaid MasterCard. 800-706-7063 That's 800-706-7063 Paid for by NPS Switch to Dish TV today for your free prepaid MasterCard You're listening to the Big Sports Radio Network With Larry Smith, Mike Kegley, and Brad Sturdy uh, welcome back here to the show. Glad to uh, have back on the show for the first time in the new year. Boy, I say that a lot here. It's just it's kind of my one of my little catchphrases, I guess. Uh, Brandon Godden, friend of the show. He is the veteran play-by-play man for the Big Ten Network. Um, FS1, he's all over the place. Also, uh, Brandon, we haven't talked since you did your, your first season as the play-by-play guy for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, first off, welcome. Good to see you. And, and tell us about how that experience was. It was great. It certainly helps when you're part of a team that wins 104 games during the regular season. It makes your job a lot easier. You have joked with a lot of people. They say, well, how are you received? I said, well, pretty well. But when you win, I think the fan base kind of gravitates to the announcers. When you lose, it probably goes the other way. Just like when you go to the ballpark and your team wins, somehow the hot dog tastes better, the popcorn's good. When the team loses, you know, the line was too long for the bathroom. The popcorn was stale. The hot dog was rubbery. So, uh, but no, it was it was a good first season. And I I mean this when I say this. I was a little hesitant about how all this would work. Would I still be able to do college hoops? Because that's a passion of mine. Thankfully, the Braves have been great. And those seasons don't really overlap. And so I've still been able to stay really heavily involved in the Big Ten. And, and I appreciate that. 
Good, good. Well, we're thankful for that because we love to hear your calls um, each week on Big Ten games. Um, so you'll start here. I mean, spring training's a couple of weeks away, right? Next week, I mean, pitchers and catchers report. When do you begin doing some some preseason spring training stuff with them? It works out perfectly. I will finish the Big Ten tournament on March 15th up in the Twin Cities, and then our first spring uh, telecast for the Braves is not until March 20th. The Braves only broadcast the last week of games leading up to the MLB's regular season. So selfishly for me, it couldn't have worked out any better because I'll call those last games on the 15th, get home, kind of collect my breath, catch my breath, repack, and then head down to Northport, Florida, where the Braves train on the 18th and get ready for the first game on the 20th. That's awesome. Final question on that. I want to get into hoops. Tell people the difference because play-by-play is difficult. It's, it's, a, it's a skill, and you're very, very good at it. Great talent. Tell people about the difference in calling a baseball game than, than basketball. I mean, you've got a lot of time to fill in between pitches yeah. when it comes to baseball. Yeah, baseball, you know, those and, – and, Larry, you've done a lot of play-by-play. It's kind of the, the storyteller's sport because there is that time. It, it also allows you, I think, a, a little bit more to interject your personality – and also lay out and just let silence and the, and the natural sounds of the ballpark take over the game. You can't – when you're doing – I think last year our crew did 144 to 162. You can't fill those two and a half, three hours every night. Uh, you, you, you've got to realize that it's okay to not tell a story here and just let the crowd take over or just relax and let a couple pitches go by. And the people at home, they need that. And baseball lends itself to that. It's more of a conversation, whereas – like football and basketball, just more energetic, upbeat. You're you're trying to get enough words in without over talking, but the play is going so fast. Uh, baseball is just a little bit of a, a different animal. But I I've always loved the art of that. Baseball was what might, made me fall in love with broadcasting, uh, and so to be able to do that and basketball now and mix in some football as well is really a dream come true. It's awesome, and we are uh, privileged that you're on those calls. Brandon Godden, we're talking with, again, play-by-play man uh, for the Atlanta Braves, about to enter season number two, but he's a veteran um, of the Big Ten, as we've talked about. Let's talk about this Big Ten hoop season as we're getting into the kind of the second half of the conference. We're right where we thought we'd be, Purdue at the top, followed by Illinois, and then uh, Wisconsin, the surprise right there. Um, I, I was happy to see them not fall too far in the polls because I do think Wisconsin is one of the top 10, 12 teams in the country. Yeah, I do too. And I think everybody has said it this year, but the difference for them is AJ store. Well, I mean, they return everybody else that got older and wiser and better. And then you add in that piece of dynamic that they just really haven't had a guy that athletic and that, that much of a playmaker. And I think it just completed their team. I also just, I think Chucky Hepburn doesn't get enough credit. You look at his stats, like "Ah, eight points. He's kind of regressed in scoring, but that was his choice. That was the choice of the team was, we're going to bring in A.J. Store to do a heavy majority of the scoring. Chucky Hepburn, though, he is still the head of that snake. He's the point guard. He sets everybody up. His assist-to-turnover numbers are off the chart. And so I think he's kind of the guy that is, is sort of the forgotten man, if you will, that's really helping uh, the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak, for Wisconsin. But, but I agree. I think, look, with Terrence Shannon in the mix – Wisconsin, Illinois, and Purdue, those are three teams that can make a run in the tournament. Now, we all know Purdue's issues in the tournament in the past, and really the Big Ten's issues in the tournament for the last 20 years, uh, but those are those are three legit top 15 teams to me when they're clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, and I think it, it so much as matchups, and we've talked on the show uh, earlier in this show and in previous weeks as well, that, um, listen, this ain't your daddy's college basketball, right? I mean, we've said so many times, 16 different teams in the past four Final Fours, 
yep. ultimate in parity. Um, there is no team produced dominant. UConn looks great. Um, other than that, and even they can be beatable. I mean, there's no there's no team you say that's the team I'm hanging my hat on. Um, and I think that's great for the game. I know fans don't like it, and we all want our team to be the team. But I think it's great. You're going to go in, and and you may see a, a six seed or a five seed in the title game, like we did, like we did last year. Yeah, what COVID has for all the bad things it gave us, and we don't know where college sports is going, and and it could be headed in a direction where we're scratching our heads. But that aside for a second, something COVID did give us is older veteran players, and yes, a lot of them have changed teams and so forth. But I think what we've seen because of that is how COVID has shifted players around. They've stayed in the game. And there's parity because of it. And I actually have enjoyed just knowing and getting to know the stories of some of these guys in the Big Ten now that have been around for over four years, some of them in their fifth year, some of them in their sixth year. Uh, and it in that way, I've enjoyed it. I, I, I don't like just looking at it like, oh, freshman, sophomore, freshman, sophomore, and then some of them are gone. It's neat to look down and say, wow, they're starting four seniors and a junior and a fifth-year senior. Um but again, we, we know that there will be a lot of transients and transfers in the future while NIL and all this stuff gets sorted out. But for now, I think what we have this year in college basketball is actually a product where you just have a lot of smart veteran players that are battling every night and guys that we've gotten to know. And you, I think there's some comfort in that. I remember growing up in Indiana in the early 90s when guys were at a program for four and five years. And even though, again, some of these players have shifted around, they're mostly known entities. And it's just good to know and see familiar faces on the court and on your television every night. Um, so I'm really, I'm, I'm really enjoying this college basketball season, and I'm, I'm with you. I think that that is one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of parity. And I think that you've got uh, the Big Ten. Um, I would argue the best collection of coaches in the country. Take nothing away from the other coaches. Um, and at the same time, you've got, like you said, you've got some veteran guys, and you're at the time of year now where the guys who come in as transfers, uh, the veterans are beginning to fit into their teams and understand roles. Um, look at what Nebraska's done lately um, with some guys that just, they've kind of come together. Fred's got a great system there. Um, what Northwestern's done with Chris Collins, there's always Michigan State and Tom Izzo. That's always a danger. You get the latter part of the season. So I think while we had the big three, there's that group like four through 10 right now that we're kind of waiting. A lot of veteran coaches, veteran players, any one of them could make a move or could pull off a couple of upsets in March. Yeah, absolutely. And and that next pile, it's just going to be curious to see who makes the NCAA tournament, right? Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, we know they're going to be in. Uh, Nebraska, I hope they continue to have success. And it's not a bias. It's just any time a program has only been to the tournament one time in the last 25 years, <laughs> I'd like to see them get back because I think it helps the conference. It, I think a, a, when a program like Nebraska can make a surge and become more relevant, it, it just helps the league all the way around. And now that Chris Collins has kind of solidified Northwestern, and I'm not going to say he's an every-year contender, but made the tournament, it looks like they're on track to possibly do that again. They've had some big wins in league play. Uh, when the league is, is good top to bottom, that helps everybody. And then, then next year you throw in the West Coast schools and and who knows what we're going to have uh, and who knows what everything could look like five years from now. But, yeah, there, right now this year there there is that group of middle pack teams uh, that I'm curious to see in the latter half of the of this conference season here how this all shakes out. Yeah. Talking with Brandon Godden, play-by-play man for the Big Ten Network and FS1 and Big Ten Games. He's a veteran guy also, again, with the Atlanta Braves, as we mentioned. Um, you touched on something a minute ago that I want to ask you about in terms of uh, the Big Ten and uh, the things that they have not done 
um, in the NCAA tournament. We're coming up on a quarter of a century since the last champion out of the Big Ten, and that's Michigan State. Thank God Tom Izzo's still there, right? Um, <laughs> he was a young man back with that when he got that win, and he's not young anymore. Um, here's my question, you know, and I talked with Rob Blackman. We were on the show last week, uh, produced play-by-play, man, and I asked him the same question. Is it an issue, again, with the, the way Big Ten games are officiated, the way the referees call the games? Um, does that pose a problem for the Big Ten come March when you have other referees that see the game differently, don't know the players here, and it seems to all it seems to never fall in the favor of the Big Ten? Is, is that fair? Yeah, I've heard that before, and I think that there may be a, a small truth to that. I actually just think it's one of those strange statistical outliers that – that happen in sports that are hard to explain. I think that, that like the NCAA tournament, as we know, and you said it earlier, it often depends so much on matchups and, and there's a little bit of luck involved to go all the way and win it. And for the Big Ten to have all these great teams over the last 24 years and not have won a single NCAA tournament really makes you scratch your head. But I think it's just one of those strange statistical outliers. I know that we all want to talk about it and conjecture and make thoughts and theories. And, and I get that. I'm one of those people that do that too. I've talked about the officiating. Uh, another thing I've talked about is that the Big Ten, and this goes along with officiating, the style of play of it being a little bit more rugged and tough. And then you get in with some of those more free-flowing SEC teams that tend to get up and down a little bit more more athletic. And that style of play and the Big Ten guys who've been playing so different for the last three months, like, whoa, what's this? And by the time they look up, they lost 85 to 75 and their season's over. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, those are the, the officiating and just the way that the game is played relative to some of the other major conferences. Those are those are things that I've thought of. Uh, and I do think those things maybe are at play. But all in all, Larry, I still think it's more of just a statistical outlier that unfortunately the Big Ten has run into some bad luck in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Just kind of one of those things you can't say it's not the players, not the coaches, but you're exactly right. Just again, the I mean, and I think UConn is an example that UConn is the first team ever, I believe, that uh, didn't face a one or a two seed on its way yep. to the title. I mean, you know, it, it just one of those. Are they not deserving? Well, no, they're deserving. They they won, yeah, yeah, but they got a good road. Maybe it's yep. just it is to your point. Um, yep. Want to kind of get your thoughts as well before we let you go in terms of kind of the the future here. We know that expansions coming as you referred to the four teams from the Pac-12 coming in. Um, obviously, the SEC is changing. We've got the Big Ten and SEC forming a partnership with the presidents, chancellors, athletic directors. Um, now, possibly some word that they're not. They want to make sure they're. I don't know, but they're not happy with the college football playoff. I mean, read into that what you want. I think we all can kind of see where we're going here. Um, it feels like that they're already beginning to kind of flex their muscles a bit and they're going to be the conferences, you know, in the next five years, if not even sooner. Yeah. Here's what I know. There's so much that we don't know. Here's what I know. How it currently is, it's not sustainable. Now that doesn't mean that players won't get played paid. They will. You can't put that back in the bag. And I'm not saying that should be put back in the bag, but the current setup Every coach complains about it. Now, whether they want to do it publicly or privately, a lot of them do it privately because they, they need to stay positive. They want to get the recruits. They don't want to be seen as negative. But they're all saying, we can't keep going like this because it's impossible for us to do our jobs. Guys are being recruited off teams throughout the season. It's this constant thought of, oh, my goodness. So not only do I need to recruit new guys, but of the 12 guys I have now that are on scholarship, 
how many of them am I going to lose this offseason? And it's always like you're you're shooting at this target that's moving all over the place, and these coaches really don't know how to handle it. And they're trying to collect this money to be able to pay these players, but some of these alumni bases are giving smaller amounts and they don't have enough. Some of them just don't know how to go out and collect the money. Some of them are having trouble explaining to their alumni that, hey, if we don't have a couple million dollars, we, we can't compete because every player, even though we don't want to have to pay them this much, their agents are saying, hey, sorry, this school's offering 750000 You only have 200000 He's got to go with where what's best. And if you're the player or the coach, you understand that. The player's got a chance to make another half million dollars. Well, hard to argue against that. So all, all that to say, all I know, I don't know where it's going, but I know that how it's set up currently is not sustainable. And it's going to be fascinating, good, bad, or indifferent, to see what changes take place, not only in the next year, but I would say in the next five to 10 years, it's it's going to be really intriguing to see what happens. I think that's the best answer I've heard so far about this question. <laughs> Very well put, because you're exactly right. That's the it's the one thing. It's the great unknown, and um and there's no there's no playbook. There's no precedent to go back and see. Well, you know, ten years ago this happened. I mean, yeah. this is all brand yeah. new. Um, so I get the same time we get to kind of be there and and help write the history as um, as we see it. Brandon, I know we're out of time on this. Always great to talk with you. Um, we know we won't talk with you here probably rest of the year because. You'll be very busy every day with baseball. Hopefully we can catch up again at some point. You have an off day. You'll spend a few minutes with us. Um, good luck the rest of the way and enjoy uh, the, the games you have and um, and the tournament in Minneapolis. Thanks, Larry. Always appreciate being on with you and hope to see you soon. All right. It sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Brandon Gordon, once again, he's a play-by-play man for uh, Big Ten games, uh, both basketball and football, and also as well, uh, he's with the Atlanta Braves, about to start his second season uh, as play-by-play guy for the Braves. Thrilled to have him here on the show. Stay with us. Much more to come after a quick timeout. How is your car payment treating you? What if I told you you could make a free phone call right now and reduce your car payment by as much as $83 a month? Look at your car payment closely. You could be paying as high as 20% interest. Rate Genius can help you reduce your car payments by reducing your interest rate to as low as 2.48% APR. We can refinance most existing car loans or leased cars, new or used, and save you money every month. Put more money back in your pocket. The call is free to find out how low we can lower your car payment. Five minutes of your time right now could save you hundreds of dollars a year. Call Rate Genius now. 800-425-1161. 800-425-1161. That's 800-425-1161. Not all applicants qualify for a loan or rate savings. Actual offer terms, including APR, are determined at the time of your application based on creditworthiness, value of the vehicle, loan term, and other factors. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the Health Insurance Helpline can help you get it. 800-448-0828-800-448-0828-800-448-0828. That's 800-448-0828. guys, some of the stories that uh, we've been talking about here. Uh, we have not spent, we've talked about amongst ourselves, but not on air. The Washington Huskies coming into the Big Ten coming up here in July. These are not the Huskies you watched a month ago. 
national runner-up, uh, but their coach is gone. Coaches are gone. Head coach is now of Alabama. And the players, our producer, Tony Codero, telling us, uh, the players, only two starters returning from this team that just went 14-1. and one. It just, It's just insane. Pretty wild. I mean, think about this. You, 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 this is the era. And, and I think this is the problem right now in college athletics is you try and connect with a team and a, and a group of players. It's very difficult to do that when they're only there maybe for a year or, or two max. It's very difficult to kind of get that connection. And, and, you know, and I think that college fans are having a hard time, um, you know, figuring that out. And, so this is uh this is where this is where it's kind of it's a new era, new world. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen or whatever, but I'm just saying it's definitely different. And you can see a team like, you know, as Washington also going into a new conference, their schedule is going to be very, very difficult as well, uh, with only two starters coming back. So that's that's tough. And it's gonna be very interesting to see. And you know they're gonna be well, very patient with new coaches, right? They always are. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because the timing is is such a critical thing when you're starting in the Big Ten conference and you don't wanna you don't wanna have year one where your ship sinks, so to speak. And and so if this team only has two starters and you're you know, you're going into Iowa, you're you're obviously playing USC and Oregon, but you're also visiting Penn State and Michigan's coming to town. That that puts a lot of pressure on a team to perform very well under rough circumstances. And, and again, you don't want to start off in a bad place because then, you know, it's always harder to get quite as many NIL contributions coming off of a losing season versus a, a national title, et cetera. So the, the whole coaches moving has a, you know, has, has a huge effect on things as, as even Alabama saw with 27 of their players hitting the the transfer portal when Nick Saban retired. Yeah, uh changes uh, all over the place there and that's uh, one of those you know everyone talked about hey Washington coming in they're going to well maybe not. It's it, it may be a real rough uh you know inaugural season for them in the Big 10. Hey, speaking of uh, things that are a little different, how about the first NFL Friday game since 1970 uh, the Eagles are going to be playing uh, as the home team as the NFL opens in week 1 in Brazil. Uh, how crazy is this? Um, the Eagles home team, they, they don't know yet who they're going to play, but the NFL just, they just kind of do what they want to do, whatever they want to do it. Yeah, they they are the global behemoth when it comes to sports. I mean, and they can go anywhere. They can sell out and people watch it. They can play the games at 7 a.m. and people watch it. They yep. play the games at 9 p.m. and people watch it. It's just, it, it's just, they are the, the, the ratings bonanza waiting to happen. And so, this is they they uh this is really kind of cool. You you wonder before the game when the game becomes more global, is there a team or a division in in another part of the world? I mean, is there are there European teams or South American teams? Obviously, the South American team much easier because the time zone's the same, right? You know, or close, right? So you could actually do something very similar. So yeah, I think this is this is very intriguing and it's a start of a more global uh, enterprise. Yeah, I think the the popularity of soccer and and now uh, basketball has encouraged the NFL to to see about exporting the the sport that destroys both of those in the United States, and it's going to be a little different battle when you're on their field 
But I do think that this is this is the way the NFL has to go if they want to keep moving forward with the future while everything else is changing. Um, they, they need to be seeing what they can do to get a foothold outside of the United States and Europe. Same old, same old. Uh, follow the money, no matter what the denomination. <laughs> We're back with more after this. You're listening to the Big Sports Radio Network with Larry Smith, Mike Kegley, and Brad Sturdy. Let's talk a little bit more here about uh, one of the many topics that we have been uh, getting into. Um, the Big Ten and the SEC putting together a um, advisory panel is what they're calling it. But clearly, as we talked about, um, this is a conversation been going on for a while with the president's chancellors and athletic directors. Back on the show once again is Tony Altimore. He's a strategy consultant, um, big sports fan, uh, loves the Big Ten. Michigan State ties, good for him as well. Loves USC as well, but he's a big college football guy. Hey, Tony, great to have you on the show. Uh, let's great get, to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Let's dig right into this. First off, uh, this panel. Um, we don't think they're trying to get together to maybe, I don't know, figure something out. I mean, I think we can kind of pretty much surmise there's a goal in mind or goals that they have by putting this all together. Yeah. I mean, and this, uh, I will, so, you know, this is just from what, what I can surmise. I think they've decided that the, you know, the NCAA strategy of let's just hope that the, that Congress bails us out. I mean, where the NCAA has been admitted openly admitting that they need cong- congressional help because they've been openly breaking the law. Uh, I, I think that the, the big 10, the SEC have said, okay, we're done with this. You know, hope for the best mentality. It's time for the grown-ups in the room to take over before the damage gets any worse. I mean, none of this would be happening if you know if they just let Jeremy Bloom have his modeling money and let Ed O'Bannon have a little bit of video game money, which was all, by the way, legal the entire time. So, I mean, you know, the lawyers will be in here and, and can give you guys all the exact details. But in, in general, they the NCAA has been behaving sh- like such an egregiously illegal cartel. For so long, now it's come back to roost. And, and I think that the Big Ten and the SEC have said, we're done losing. We're done pretending that this model works. This doesn't work. We have, we're, we're about to face a massive, potentially multi-billion dollar loss in the House case. Now, the House case is the case in California right now of athletes suing the conferences and the NCAA for NIL money that they illegally were not allowed to earn because the NCAA acted like an illegal cartel. They're going to lose that. They know they're going to lose that. First of all, their argument is so bad. Second, the Supreme Court has just dunked on it. Third, the judge, who is the senior judge of the Ninth Circuit, by the way, uh, is the same judge who destroyed the NCAA and O'Bannon. Like, she knows their illegal cartel model. Like, this is, I mean, it's like a comedy. So they're going to have to settle that because if they don't settle that, they're going to have to pay, you know, like three or four billion dollars. So they, I'm sure they will settle it. And the big 10, the ICF said, we're sick of fighting these losing battles for your illegal cartel business model. Now, part of the problem is the big 10, the SEC have a very different business model than all the other conferences and all the other divisions. And I think what you're really sort of seeing is just the grownups taking charge. So the, the question I guess that we have at this point is you you see these things happening where the Big Ten is moving. Is this also maybe something to motivate the NCAA to try a new strategy for 
you know, self-preservation, if nothing else, maybe a rattling of the sabers to see if you can wake up the NCAA? You know, I would hope so. Um, It's hard to tell exactly. The NCAA can be pretty dense and, and, and clueless on this stuff, but I would think this is probably the final warning. Right. Like th- this is the final warning that says, if you don't get this together and solve the problems, then we're going to just take our ball and go. Home. And now it's going to be hard. Like and, and people have taught, oh, they could just set up. Yeah, they could. They could set up a whole new NCAA tomorrow. The logistics of that, the strategy. Of that, I'll tell you guys, I was around for the setting up of the Department of Homeland Security and the setting up of the Office of Director of National Intelligence. And those were aided with unlimited money and the benefits of national security. I can't even imagine what it would take with the speed of higher education to set up a new, you know, Big Ten SEC joint NCAA. It would be a night. It would take way longer than they have and way more money than they than they are willing to spend. So, you know, I think the question is, you know, it's a warning of the NCAA. We can do this if we need to. Please don't make us. And we'll find out. The, the NCAA has a wonderful way of batting a, a zero batting average. <laughs> they strike out well. Is there a, um, as you kind of look at this, is this, you know, obviously we, it's folk, the focus is all on football for the most part, but how does it, how do we integrate all the other things in this, in this uh, process? Well, there's some really interesting questions. So I'm actually working on a research project with somebody, uh, a, a uh, Peyton Barris from Duke is a really fascinating guy uh, where we're looking at what's another business model we could use for the Olympic sports. Um, I'm going to pick on my wonderful, beloved alma mater right now. USC is building a spectacular $30 million soccer and lacrosse stadium. Are we training the World Cup? No, we're not. You know, are we? I don't know what the lacrosse money is for. So, I mean, I love lacrosse. I love soccer. But like that's $30 million that probably doesn't need to be spent. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm glad we have it. But in a world where we say we need money, <laughs> there's $30 million. Uh, we have stadiums and fields at USC. So, you know, when you think about the business model of some of these Olympic sports, the spending really starts to be a question. What are you doing? You know, if you're if you're spending a fortune on a swim team and you're not filling your team with Olympians, why are you running an Olympic style program? Like, what are the goals of athletics? And the goals of athletics are we want to, you know, teach our kids the values of, you know, hard work and fair play and competition. We we like what athletes bring leadership wise, things like that in the classroom. That's why we do this in those Olympic sports. And there's a lot of money being spent on them that I think may start to come into question. Talking here with Tony Altimore, once again, a strategy consultant. We're always thrilled to have him on to kind of break down some things. Um, we always like talking to people who who are smarter than us. Tony fits that category. Doesn't take much, right, for us. Uh, um, but I here, win. Thank you, guys. There you go. Here's a question for you that and we've talked about quite a bit. I'm of the mind that I think that we are heading toward still, and Mike, I know, agrees, and Brad, too. Um, we're heading toward a world that in 10 years from now, there's only going to be, you know, 75, 80, um, you know, major teams in co- in college sports. And I think with, we're already seeing with the big 10, the sec, maybe not even that many, they may, we may wind up in a few years at the time of the next TV contract may come up to where we've got two 24 team super conferences and they become kind of a Saturday version of the NFL. I mean, in terms of you've got games all day long and you get to the playoffs, 
And the college football playoff is simply the top four or top six teams from each one of those conferences, if you will, heading towards a collegiate Super Bowl, just like we see in the NFL. Talk, talk me out of that. You know, I don't know if I can talk you out of it because I think it may be sort of where we're going. But in some ways, it may sort of already be where we are as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, when, when you think about it uh, and you, you think about it and, you know, what the cutoff point is, is debatable. But uh, I'll be honest, and I, I'm going to say this because I love the Mac and I come from like Mac roots. My uncle won a national championship on the Eastern Michigan baseball team. Um, but I'll tell you that like the Mac is not competitive with the Big Ten. Um, despite the fact that my dad's 19, my dad's national championship reunion team for Michigan State lost to Central Michigan, uh, <laughs> we got to see that in the stands one time. But you know, in general, the MAC is not competitive with the Big Ten. So there, and financially, those programs are dumping money, and, and the amount of money that some of those programs are dumping is huge. Coastal Carolina, the subsidy at Coastal Carolina, the subsidy for the athletic department, not the budget. Just the subsidy of the budget is $4,000 per student at a school that's 25% first-generation kids. Yeah. So you're telling me that $4,000 per student is a good investment at Coastal Carolina? I mean, and there, there's some like marketing arguments, maybe, but I don't buy it. So I don't think that business model is sustainable. And so... To some of these programs, if we can get them out of that, you know, out of that model, that helps. But there is a huge relevancy factor. And I'm going to pick on my other beloved alma mater, go Quakers. The University of Pennsylvania in the 1950s was a national powerhouse. Like they played Notre Dame. It would have been like the, you know, game of the year. Huge thing. 85,000 people at Franklin Field. There were always 75,000 people at Franklin Field. Back when Penn State was a cow college with 20,000 people in the stands. When a when a Ivy League sort of really did its thing, 1954, 1955, caused the 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 pullback of relevancy of the Ivy League, and all of a sudden they lost relevance. Seventy five thousand people, thirty years later, is seven thousand people, and so the risk to you know the MAC, the risk to the Sun Belt, the risk to uh, even the Mountain West, right? Is are you going to lose such relevancy that you become effectively FCS. And that, that's a real risk. And it's a risk to the sport because I'll tell you the Northeast never recovered for college football from losing the Ivy league, Philadelphia. They don't, I mean, they don't really root for Penn state, right? Let's be honest. You know, New York, they don't really root for Rutgers. So Massachusetts, they don't root for you, Matt. They lost their teams. They lost Harvard. They lost Princeton. They lost Penn. They lost their teams. And I think one of the risks that we have, and maybe it's going to happen is that regions of this country will lose relevance from their teams. Now, the other thing I think is very interesting, what it was announced today, um, that ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are going to form a joint venture sports streaming service, which ironically brings the SEC and ESPN back under the fold with Fox and the Big Ten. How but, smart is Fox? They uh, they they're going to get all the benefits without having to lose billions of dollars over the last few years. Exactly, These guys but are it, so good. Does it also kind of highlight the fact that I think most people would say that the NIL model looks like it could be awfully shaky over time? It seems like maybe even the TV rights model that everything is built on now may not be quite as healthy as what we are thinking. Those contracts 
make you make you believe? You know, it's all a really good question. Uh, and part of the other question, you know, is how many nickel and diming, you know, such and such a network plus services are we going to have? So from Fox's standpoint, Fox has been very, very behind in the streaming game. Like they just haven't even played. So, I mean, and ESPN Plus is, is an, ESPN Plus is a really good service. So from Fox's standpoint, you know, these other networks, these other networks have lost billions of dollars on launching their streaming items. So Fox just kind of sat there and was like, hey, can we come play? And they were like, yeah, <laughs> all right. And so, I, you know, I mean, I think what we may be seeing is, is like, again, the brilliance of Fox. But you're right that there, there's a real big question as we lose cord cutting is, you know, carriage fees and, and those things sort of plummet. The, the rights, the rights model is really in question. And one of the we need to think about like the sustainability of the whole business model if you know if that starts to collapse a little bit. So there there are a lot of really big, big, big future questions. But I will I will tell you, you know, it's sort of like it, it it's a it's a lot more fun to be on the aircraft carrier of the Big Ten than the broken masted sailboat of some of these other conferences. <laughs> Indeed. That's- that, that is for sure. Uh, is there a, what do you see, like, when we start looking at this, we see the, like, the Dartmouth case with the NIL and the employees and the, how does that play into this, 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 uh, this animal that is the NCAA NIL program? So, uh, I, I mean, I think we were going to lose, we we're going to, one of the, first of all, one of the big issues with NIL right now is that the schools don't control it. Yeah. Right. Like that's like being a company and like some random other person is like paying your employees. Maybe, you know, if it's like Florida, like, oh, sorry, we ran out of money, Jade Rashada. Uh, I mean, so, you know, there's there's real serious issues. The smartest thing you can do is bring it in house. Right. Like the schools should be in charge of this. The schools should be controlling this. It should be school revenue, you know, school pay. However, it's done. The schools need to be in charge of it. So I think that's a really good thing. Uh, there's also another really good question about control. And that's what the Dartmouth thing was about. The Dartmouth thing was not about the money that comes in from Dartmouth, but about the control that the Dartmouth coaches have over those athletes. And so when they say, this is the time you eat, this is the time you go to work out, this is the time you do this. And if you don't, they're like, well, that you're an employee. <laughs> Somebody's telling you what you have to do all day long. Like that, that's an employee. And so one of the questions, one of the things we may start to see, particularly like we mentioned for those Olympic sports, is they may start to shift a little bit to be like, oh, okay, just go to the gym when you want to go to the gym. You do, they, they, they're going to have to back off or they're going to have to pay the kids. Yeah. Tony, it is um, always great to talk with you. Um, we could talk for hours, <laughs> but we will let you always go. Always fun. We appreciate your insights as always. And uh, again, please join us soon to help us uh, give us some clarity on some of this stuff. Sounds good. Uh, Tony Altamore, once again, he's a strategy consultant and a friend of the show. We're thankful for that to get his insights uh, on all of this stuff. Uh, We will be talking to him again soon. Stay with us. More to come after this. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more. You are making the same or less money. So what do you do? You rack up credit card debt. That's what you do. It's not your fault. It's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the zero debt. 
They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-507-7293. 800-507-7293. That's 800-507-7293. We're back on Big Sports Radio. We're going to talk some Big Ten hoops. Mike and I... uh... You know, the Big Ten is obviously you've got Purdue at the top, but we've started to see some some separation in the Big Ten um, between these top three. But is it a top three now? Wisconsin's lost three in a row after losing at Cellar Dweller, Michigan. Um, man, that was a, that's a tough one for for the Badgers. Well, especially you know we 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 uh, probably should give. Kudos out to Juwan Howard, who we've had fun at his expense. But, you know, the, his team came out ready to play. They kept a hold of a lead. And I will tell you that the numerous times that, that um, y- you know, Wisconsin came back, it seemed like they were the, the Wolverines were able to withstand that. And I think we're looking at it. I still would say that the Badgers are, are top three, along with Purdue and Illinois. Illinois uh, is still waiting for Terrence Shannon to fully integrate off of the suspension. I think they have some lift available. And Purdue has, you know, Edie, who is just the one-man army uh, out there in in college basketball. So I think those three teams are the best teams. But if you would have told me that the next three teams in the conference standings would be Minnesota, Northwestern, and Nebraska – I would have laughed at you. <laughs> hey, so it, it kind of begs the question here. What When we're looking at this Big Ten hoops thing, how many NCAA tournament teams are we going to have from the Big Ten? Uh, literally, I, I think there are three locks right now. I think you've got Purdue, Illinois, and Wisconsin. They are locks. From that point forward, you know, it, it, there are some. I think Michigan State's probably on the right side of the bubble now. But you look at this. I mean, when you start playing this out, Northwestern, Nebraska, Indiana, Michigan State, Iowa, and, and I, I think I think uh, Maryland's actually a talented team that hasn't gotten there yet. But I, I think, is there going to be, uh, who's going to make the emergence here? I, I, I mean, who's going to emerge as a legitimate NCAA tournament contender? Because every team, I, I would say outside of Penn State and Michigan, and maybe like uh, Ohio State and Rutgers, you look at those teams, they're probably the bottom. Everybody else probably feels like they have a shot if they can just make a run. I, I agree, and I'm going to I'm gonna pick one, which is probably the curse of death. Oh, now so I know he's not going to make it. All the fans across the Big Ten are like, please, God, don't let him say my team. But basically, I'm going to tell you right now, I think that Nebraska Cornhusker team is so close to being to figuring out how to win. They know how to do it at home. They haven't been able to do it on the road, but I think Hoiberg is building something out there. He's got a, a track record of success at Iowa State, and they will have the opportunity for some road wins because they're playing Indiana, who can't shoot from outside, Ohio State, who is should be way better than they are, and Michigan, who we've talked about their struggles uh, quite a bit. 
I think they could put together, if they could win two out of the three on the road and do as well as they have in their home stadium, which they have not lost yet, um, this Nebraska team could step into the into the tournament. Yeah, I mean, they do have the quality wins. Uh, and both Nebraska and Northwestern have those quality wins. They've beaten Purdue and Illinois, which um, are Purdue and uh, Nebraska, Purdue and Wisconsin, Northwestern, Purdue and Illinois. When you have those kind of marquee wins, I think that does help your 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 resume so much and puts them in, in the hunt. And that's where it seems like, you know, an Indiana or Michigan State, they really need to get some of those marquee wins. Michigan State has non-conference win against Baylor where they routed them. But, you know, this is where you start, you know, trying to find the the, the key wins uh, to get yourself onto the right side of the bubble. Um, it, but, you know, you got to win on the road, I think, in the Big Ten. I think that's where it is. There are two teams above 500 or at 500 or above in the in the Big Ten on the road. Mike, guess which two they are? Purdue and Illinois. Yeah, guess which teams are at the top of the conference? Purdue, Purdue and Illinois. And Illinois. It, it isn't rocket science sometimes in, in basketball. You went on the road. Uh, you went at home and split on the road or, or do a little better than that on the road, and you're going to be have a really good team. You've got three ranked teams, Purdue 10, Illinois, or Purdue 2, Illinois 10. Wisconsin is going to slide, I'm sure, from 11. Um, by the way, the Badgers have another tough road game, I think. Rutgers playing pretty well right now, and, and they got Jeremiah Williams back, and I, I think that's going to be a tough one on Saturday for them. They they better right the ship because you lose four in a row, and whoo. You start looking at yourself uh, sliding down those conference standings. So, yeah, big another big weekend uh, for Big Ten hoops, um, and another big week. It's uh, it's always fun, and it's going to be competitive as we go down to the um, down the wire here. We'll be back right after this with more on Big Sports Radio. Packages start at twenty nine ninety nine a month with signed agreement. Restrictions apply. Speak to a representative for complete offer details. See Vivint.com for license details. Terms and conditions apply. Homeowners, if you're looking for the best in home security and smart home technology at a price you can actually afford, we have great news. Now you can get Vivint's award-winning home security systems starting at about a dollar a day. U.S. News & World Report has recognized Vivint as the best professionally installed home security system of 2022. And right now, you can get Vivint's home security technology for about a dollar a day. Plus, get free professional installation from a licensed technician. Protect your home and loved ones for as low as a dollar a day. Call right now for your free home security consultation. 800-613-8053. 800-613-8053. That's 800-613-8053. Fans of big sports radio and sports spectacular podcasts have a new home on the Chief Sports Network. Find your favorite programs and content all in one place by downloading the Chief Sports app in your mobile device. Created in South Carolina, the Chief Sports Network is the home of an expanding network of live and podcast format programming. It is also the home of one of the leading national college football podcasts, J.C. and Morgan, hosted by ESPN's Mike Morgan and 24-7 Sports' J.C. Sherbert. Download the Chief Sports app for free and find all of your favorite programming under one easy umbrella. Thanks to all of our markets for your loyal support of Big Sports Radio and our Sports Spectacular podcast, and we look forward to connecting with you anywhere in the world on the Chief Sports app. You're listening 
to the Big Sports Radio Network with Larry Smith, Mike Kegley, and Brad Sturdy. Hey, joining us now to talk some women's hoops. Back on the show once again, we're always uh, glad to get his insights. Doug Feinberg, he is the women's basketball writer for the Associated Press. Doug, good to see you again. Um, I, I think we'll jump right in. I think any conversation in college basketball right now, really women's or men's, uh, it goes with Caitlin Clark. Another big milestone this week. She becomes the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer, number two all-time women's scorer, although she's likely going to pass Pete Maravich for the all-time scorer overall. Um, just talk about just what a special talent she is. It's just, it's just, she's, she's fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, she, she really is. She, she is galvanized the sport in a sense with just everywhere she goes to sold out arenas or arenas with road games, having 150% more fans than a normal home game for those schools. So she is must watch TV must watch in person. I mean, when's the last time you had, people scalping tickets or selling tickets in the secondary market for thousands of dollars to watch a women's basketball player or team play. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. And I mean, it's, it's not like that the women's game has not been, um, you know, up center stage, right. You know, in, in the front burner. I mean, when you talk about um, the great, you know, I mean, you and I, we go back to Louisiana tech and Lynn Barmore, but you know, I mean, even, you know, the Georgia teams, Andy Landers and obviously Tennessee and Pat summit and Gino in his early years and still going and um, you know, Texas and Stanford, we just saw what uh, Terry uh, Tara Vanderveer has done. Um, but you're right. Even with all those successes and the great players, Cheryl Miller's and um, swoops and, and all the players through the years, Sue bird. And, and, and you can go on and on Diana Taurasi. You haven't had this Brittany Griner at Baylor with she was a rock star, right? When they won their title, um, you haven't had that. And um, I think it, it's even more special that it's in Iowa, which has a great history of girls basketball going back several decades. Yeah. I mean, they go back to playing six on six in Iowa for a long time uh, on the basketball court. I, I think, listen, she's an unbelievable talent. Caitlin is what has helped obviously is we're, we're in a time right now with social media that, her highlights are shown everywhere on linear TV, but also on Instagram, on Twitter, TikTok, ever. So it's a chance for her to sort of get more fans to see, oh, my God, she's shooting from the logo, as opposed to when Tarasi and Miller and Moore and Bird and and all, Grind and all those players played, that didn't really exist. And throwing also that the NIL deals, like she can have a State Farm deal. I mean, I think one of the funniest commercials – I've seen is the State Farm deal where she, they call for a shooter and she pops up and she's like, "What? There's no basket here!" And she, just seeing her deadpan that is hilarious. So, so being able to be in national commercials and having the social media component ha- has turned a, a unbelievable player into one that everyone uh, is a household name now, so to speak. Yeah, no question. And she's kept Iowa right there in the conversation this week, ranked fifth in the country. Um, um, and they're at a real battle in the Big Ten with uh, Indiana improving after uh, what they did last year um, at Ohio State coming on. So it'll be interesting to see how that conference plays uh, moving on down. Um, I want to get to um, the SEC right now. And how much fun was it for anyone not paying attention and focusing more on Caitlin Clark to see the game last week with South Carolina as quietly as a number one team could do? take down the defending champion LSU and love Don Staley afterwards and talking about, Oh no, they weren't, they weren't being mean. They were just calling me boo. I mean, what, what great uh, sense of humor um, after a big win. And she had a shirt for their next home game with boo on it. So like (laughs) Don Staley is tremendous at grabbing a moment and running with it and having fun with it. And 
listen, they went under the radar this year, and I think they were sixth in the preseason poll, and now they're they've been number one since LSU lost its first game. And this was a, re a rebuilding year for South Carolina. They, they lost all five of their starters from last year's team. They were going to be good, but it's like, oh, you know, give them some time to sort of let the newbies flourish. And again, credit to Dawn. She had players that were on the bench last year that now are starting for her. They didn't leave. They didn't transfer. They didn't pout. They became better players. And, and that, to me, is a sign of a great coach who's able to sort of keep her own and add to it. And I said, develop players to be really, really good right now. So she's done a tremendous job of turning a team that everyone thought would be good at some point this year to being really good early on. And they are the only undefeated team in the country. And they're definitely the best team in the country right now. I'm glad you said that because I felt silly that I'm like, wait a minute, how did I forget South Carolina? So I'm glad you broke it down like that because the focus obviously is on Iowa and LSU and after the epic final last year that I think, again, elevated the women's game to another level. Let's talk about LSU right now. And it's, look, I mean, it's not like they're not playing well, um, but they've got the target on their back. One, Kim Mulkey is a, um, she's a personality and with the, you know, the loud suits and the loud personality as well. Um, and Angel Reese right there too, but they've had some speed bumps, uh, this season that I think we, no one could have seen coming with the, at the onset of this, uh, this basketball campaign. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think the biggest thing they've had to deal with is putting in some new pieces to a really talented team to begin with. And there's always going to be speed bumps. I mean, at any level, when you add two high profile, um, high ability players like Anissa Morrow and Haley Van Lith to fit into a, a, a good returning team, it's going to, it's going to be a work in progress. And you saw it at the start when they lost the first game and then they got a little bit better, but they were playing some teams that, you know, they, they should beat by 40, 50 points. I mean, that's the way they schedule things. And they had their first real challenge in a while against South Carolina and they played well. But once Angel Reese fouled out with that fifth foul, which again, Probably she should not have fouled the kid. It was definitely a foul, but like, you know, you got four fouls. It's a tight game. Maybe let her get the two points. Two points is not worth missing the last four and a half minutes of a game. So it takes some time to gel and adjust and, and sort of fit all the pieces together, the pizza pie, so to speak, and make it whole. So th they're struggling right now a bit, but I, I think when we get to the the games that matter down the road, the NCAA tournament, they'll probably be potentially a little bit stronger and more cohesive and that will get them where they need to be, or they might be one of those teams. We go, they had a lot of talent, but it just didn't work out for them this year. Yeah. Um, you know, talking with uh, Doug Feinberg here, the AP uh, writer, uh, women's basketball, um, and just, uh, boy, just does such a great job. And for so many years, and we always uh, are fortunate to have him here on the show. Um, how about a team that, 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 uh, talk about off the radar. Um, when they beat Iowa back in November, we went, oh, okay, that's an upset. Kansas State is now number two. In the AP poll, talk about the Wildcats and what's going on in the other Manhattan. Well, it's funny because they just lost the other night to Oklahoma. Uh -huh. So there, there seems to be a curse at number two. I think four times this year, the number two team has lost after they become number two in the AP poll. So that might be the one you don't want. Like the old SI cover jinx, you don't want to be number two in the AP poll because you're <laughs> destined to lose a game pretty soon. But but that said, I mean, they, they've had a phenomenal season. Um they won 14 straight games before that loss, although it's technically 15 if you count the forfeit that TCU had because they didn't have enough players to play, which was a crazy story on its own. But Coach Mitty's done a tremendous job with that group. They've won the last couple games this 
last week or two without their star center, Aoka Lee, who was out with an injury, an ankle injury. So, like, they're doing without their best player. They were still finding ways to win in a pretty good Big 12, beating, I think it was Baylor and Texas and a couple other teams that were really strong early on. So they're a team that, again, they were the first team ever to go from unranked to number two in the AP poll in the history of the poll. So that tells you something. They were 26th. They were just outside the top 25 to start the season. So they weren't like this team no one's ever heard of, but they weren't ranked. So they they were the first team ever to do that, to go up to number two in the, in the history of the 40-plus the year history of the poll. So they're they're a good team. Once they get Lee back probably in a week or two or maybe three, they'll be better again. But what a great story. What a, what a great job that they've done there. Yeah, I love that to see. Um, anytime you see a team that you don't normally see, right, right up in the top ten having a great year, um, it's always exciting, and uh, because those are programs again that we are not accustomed um, to seeing. One that we have, uh, you know, they've won three championships. I mentioned uh, Tara Vanderveer is Stanford right now, and of course the big news um, in January a couple of weeks ago, she passes Mike Shashevsky as the all-time uh, winningest uh, basketball coach, men's or women's, uh, in Division One. Um, talk about your experience with her, and just um, it's incredible to see that she's been able to do this. I'm always impressed with, with longevity and that includes coach K um, and, and all the, all the legends that they can keep doing this because the game today is so much different than it was 20 years ago. And so to, to find that success and to keep winning and to keep evolving as a coach and a person um, I've, I've always found fascinating. Yeah. Tar is one of the best ever to do it just on and off the court. What, what a wonderful person besides being a great coach, a wonderful person. She she's also Stanford's a little bit different because you have to have a certain level of academic to go there as well. So they can't just get anyone to go there and to be the all time wins leader and build the I mean, how sad is the Pac 12's last season is this year as we know it. And they're one of the best conferences in the country. And she was the one for so many years carrying the flag, being the team in the conference. And then obviously other teams rose because of what Stanford did and what she did there. So just a great tactician, a, a great coach, uh, a quick Android real quick. So you go, you know, I coach high school basketball. I was with her down in the Bahamas a couple years ago when they're playing a tournament down there. And she knows that coach. We've talked many years about it. And she actually, I like one of their inbound plays that she ran in a game. She drew it up on a napkin for me to sort of, Hey, here's what it is. So you can have it to run for your team. And like, who else would do that? Like literally take a napkin, draw it up. Here you go. And it was a great play. I think we ran it like probably a week later. And of course it scored because it's a play from one of the greatest coaches of all time. Right. Exactly. And you, I know you still have the napkin, right? I mean, I, I do. It's not actually in front of me right now, but I, right. I still do have the napkin. Yes. Yeah. You're not, not though. You're never throwing that away. Yeah. Come no, on. No chance. It's not happening. Um, one more question before I let you go. Uh, we mentioned in terms of uh, one of the all time great programs and coaches at uh, Gino Ariema and UConn, um, the Huskies right there, not talked about because there are so many stories, um, but they're right there at number 11 this week, uh, 17 and four. Talk about UConn's season and, and kind of how they're looking as we begin to, to look toward March. I mean, I can't think of a team that's been more snake bitten by injuries over the last couple of years than UConn. If everyone was healthy, they would be number one in the country or number two in the country without question. But they've lost, I think, five players now for the season because of injuries and such that like the team that he came into that everyone thought was going to be there is not there. They just have a, a, a have had to adjust the way they do things the last couple of weeks or every year that every time they find a new system, so to speak, someone else goes down, yeah. but they still have page backers who's back and healthy and is one of the top three players in the country. 
and she's playing playing lights out on both ends of the court. She's been blocking shots, which is it was great. Her decent defensive game has improved. So UConn is still very good. I think last time I was on, I predicted them to be in the Final Four before a couple of injuries happened. I would never bet against them. So I, I think he's done a great job again of finding ways to win and adjust how they play when you keep on losing starting players. And, and, and eventually he catches up with you, but they still are winning with a roster and a team that's on the court that was not what you expected the starting five to be when the season began in October. And and like you talked about with Tara, another just legend who, like you said, just adjusting to personnel, to adversity, um, and the great ones find a way uh, to do that. Um, well, tell us before we let you go, what are some upcoming, uh, you've got some high school games obviously coming up. Are you going to get a chance to get out to any uh, college games anytime soon? Yeah, I'm actually, it's funny, I'm going out to watch one of my former kids play who's um, at Purdue, our first Division One players playing at Purdue, a freshman, doing great. So I'm going out to watch them play in a couple weeks. And I'll see the Michigan-Iowa game where potentially that record's going down, the NCAA record held by Kelsey Plum, which, depending, Caitlin's averaging 34 points a game, so it could go down before that. But in a few weeks, the Michigan-at-Iowa game. Awesome, awesome. And I know that's the one, again, you, you'll you save the napkin, the program, the ticket, the press pass, all those things from that. No question. Hey, Doug, we know we got to run. We always appreciate your time. Thanks, as always. And uh, safe travels here in the month of February. Thanks, my friend. All right, we appreciate it, buddy. Uh, Doug Feinberg, again, is the women's basketball writer for the Associated Press. Always good to uh, get his insights here on the show. Stay with us. We've got more to come after a quick timeout. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain. Until one day, the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day, Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today. Bill lost his job and his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now to get away and get treatment. 800-980-1761 800-980-1761 800-980-1761 That's 800-980-1761 We're back, and we have a special event going on, potentially. This is hypothetical still, but it's in the works. Kegley, sturdy, chess boxing championships. Who wins? Sounds really tired. So you (laughs) play three minutes of chess, which I totally suck at. And then you go into the boxing ring, which I've done some boxing, and I was decent at it. But I'm way out of shape. I'm I'm not certain if there's an upside for me on either side of this, other than I can hit hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's definitely be interesting. Um, I I think maybe we should go with more of like a checker sumo wrestling type uh, thing. <laughs> I think that uh, might be. I, a- listen, if you come at me swaddled in a towel, I'm running. <laughs> I'm, I'm right. I mean, I am right out of. I am right out of the ring, Brad. You win because if you're gonna if you're gonna wear the uh, the the sumo diaper, 
I don't want to touch. <laughs> I don't want to touch. Well, well, I think that's good. I mean, we're gonna. I, I don't know how. To, I I just don't know. I I, I kind of want to watch some chess boxing. I I don't know what the what's the most important side of this. I mean, you you get a good, really good boxer. So let's say you're really good at boxing. Can you? You got to survive the the four minutes of chess, right? And, and then, that's my problem because I I would be decent for uh, for my age and a non professional boxer. I could handle my own in the ring, except I'll be really tired after about three punches. But the, <laughs> do we have to train for this? I mean, because our I, I pizza diets are not working. I think we'd have to train for but, that. But you know, broadcasting this though, you got to admit it'd be like three minutes of like people moving chesting and everybody going. Yeah, this is kind of boring. And then they go wail on each other or have night, a heart attack. Night, night to queen four. <laughs> Left jab! <laughs> you know, so just, <laughs> now, now, see, there's a combination. Because right now, I'm not seeing a lot of athleticism that's required for this. But if you could punch each other while you're playing chess, now we've got a sport. <laughs> now we do. That would be fun. Every move, you get punched. <laughs> Boom. Boom. It's like, dang it. You, 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 you got to be able to move forward. your... And you you gotta be able to clock? move your chess pieces with your boxing gloves on, though. Do you have to take the gloves off? How does that work? How do they do that? I, this, I'm just, this, well, maybe there's more athleticism than I thought, Brad. No, I mean you got to put your gloves on because you know they all you like tape your gloves when you box. So yeah, how do yeah. they do that in a minute? Yeah, that's impressive. Maybe they have I, special I, special gloves that just slide on. I, you know, and and how long is it till? Tyson Fury tries to learn how to play chess so that he can yeah, exactly. get, he can get some <laughs> poor, you know, nerd who learned how to play chess and beat the hell out of him when they get in the ring. I am the Gypsy King. I'm the greatest chess boxer of all time. So, and yeah. let me sing a song about it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He will. Yeah. But, hey, if there's money to be made, Tyson Fury will be there. I can guarantee well, uh, that. Uh, although he, 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 he got cut. And that looked like a legitimate sparring thing. So now he and Usyk are back to to June, yeah. and I get the I get the impression that Tyson doesn't really want to fight Usyk. So we'll see. No, I don't because he's he's so been either. pretty good in the past about avoiding fights at times. Yeah, well, Conor McGregor maybe could do the walk out to the from be, yeah. in between each you know the chessboard, walk to the chessboard like that. It's probably not as intimidating to walk out there with your you know with your rook in your hand. Is it? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, you come out there in a chesting and you don't want to wear the armor, you know, like some some boxers will wear into the ring, yeah, you know, it yeah, was too yeah. heavy for for Deontay Wilder and tired him out before the yeah. first Tyson fight. So, uh, or Fury fight. So what you want to do is you want to make sure when you come out, I mean, you come out like what type of music do you come out to for a chess match? I, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I, you know who probably wouldn't be good at this is Mike Tyson, because I don't think he'd get to the boxing match. I think he'd be. Well, but think about this though. You know, as you're about ready to checkmate him, you look across at him, and he's just giving you that look of you're death. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I quit. I quit. <laughs> I don't want to get in the ring with you. I yield. <laughs> you know, speaking of yielding, you know who's yielding? The mayor who? of Las Vegas. Oh, the mayor yeah. of Las Vegas does not want the Oakland A's. Eh, you know, why don't you guys just stay? They're having issues with the location, the Tropicana area, whatever. And the mayor says, yeah, why don't you guys just stay in Oakland? And, oh, my goodness. I and, mean, and Oakland is probably like, I don't know if we really want you that bad. This is what happens to cheap ownership. It really is. They're, they're, just, they're just hopping to wherever they can get a deal. And you know the way they spend money. In 10 years, the, the Las Vegas A's are going to stink. They haven't been good since... You know the Bash Brothers were there. Well, you know, 
if we're lucky, we'll be able to somebody will they'll, they'll go up for sale for like 39 cents and we can buy them and then then we'll make them good. Yeah, exactly. Well, well I I know nothing about baseball, so I'm going to have well, to, you're going to have to be the GM and the owner. You can sell though. So you can just sell the guys. You'll get, you'll be the free agent guy. Popcorn, get your popcorn. No, I mean sell the players to come there, Mike. Come oh, okay, okay. That's how we do that. Yeah, so that's free agency. All right. I, I thought I was selling concessions. <laughs> well, I'm sure you could do that too if you didn't eat them before you sold them. So <laughs> we'll be back right after this. How would you like to get high-speed internet for your home for less than $2 a day? That's right. For about 50 bucks a month, you'll get lightning-fast internet. Are you paying less than 50 bucks a month right now for your internet? Then call Whole Home Connect right now for blazing-fast internet at 50 bucks a month with no price increases, no hidden fees, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. It's a great deal. And guess what? You can try it for 15 days. If you don't like it you get your money back but you're gonna love it and you're gonna love the price internet for your home for 50 bucks a month that's less than two bucks a day plus no contracts no upfront costs no equipment fees and our 15-day guarantee call now 800-215-0341 800-215-0341 that's 800-215-0341 Do you use the expensive blue or yellow pills to charge your sex life? Are you thinking about it? What if we can promise you the same results for less than $3 a pill? If you're paying $20 a pill for the other pills, you're getting taken to the cleaners. Our pills deliver the exact same results for less than $3. You'll save more than $16 a pill for the same results. And right now, radio callers will get 44 blue or yellow pills for $120 with free discreet shipping. You can save more than $700 off pharmacy prices. Charge your sex life now and save a ton of money. Call now and get your 44 pills and save over $700 and qualify for free shipping. Stop overpaying and call right now. Paid for by Steel Man Pills. 800-218-4958-800-218-4958-800-218-4958. That's 800-218-4958. Super Bowl 58 coming up here on Sunday and guys, by the way, if you if you haven't noticed, it's the 20th anniversary of the infamous wardrobe wardrobe malfunction in Houston. So I ask you guys who watch football, and I'm sure you watch fashion shows as well, was that a wardrobe malfunction as you look back now 20 years later? Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake? Uh, no, it was not. I mean, well, it was a malfunction in the sense that Nobody else knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, and that's what it was that we got the up close and personal. Um, but yeah, I, it was obviously a planned thing. Um, and, uh, wasn't a, you know, yeah, I guess some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. Cool. Some people liked it, rewound it and watched it again and liked it uh, many times. Who Nobody knows? on this show, of course. Yeah. No, not, not here. No, we would never no. do that. So, so the, the rumor is, is that Larry was there and may have had something to do with it. Well, one of those is true. Um, yeah, I was there and was 
amazed. And what was oh, funny, but you didn't have anything to do with it. That's your no, saying. That's no, your I story. I, that's okay. right. I'm sticking to it. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> what was amazing is the people who didn't know. And by the way, we also what you didn't see on camera during a commercial break, there was a streaker who ran on the field as well. So a lot of nudity happening in Houston there for the first game in like three decades. I no wonder why Larry Bowl. loves the Super Bowl so much. <laughs> It's just come on, this, this is awesome. Um, no, it was it was actually that was the first one I covered, and it's been strange ever since then. Um, here's the, I've got in arguments about this over the years, and I'm sort of like, okay, here's the thing. Ladies, take any garment that you have in your closet, in your in your dresser, doesn't matter. Put it on and have your male friend try to tug and pull at it. It it's not gonna give. So what's disappointing is Justin Timberlake had the thing where he was feeling on Kylie Minogue's rear end at an award show before that. And nobody talked about it at the time. Not since then it talked about it, but I, even then I was telling my wife, I'm like, why is he, he looks like a horny teenager. What is he doing there? So he kind of got a pass, went on and made a hundred million dollars since then. And Janet's been, <laughs> you have no problem. Well, I no, I I'm saying he almost was a horny teenager, Larry. I mean, let's like be honest. I, was, I guess, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, it was, just, yeah, it was like a, you know, it's uh yeah, it's obviously not good. I mean, hopefully well, we don't have that. Who's, I don't even know who's performing. Usher, 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 Usher. Well, yeah, I bet yeah, he goes. Yeah. I bet there's a chance he'll be topless. I mean, well, who knows? He'll have a shirt off. I'm just, probably. I'm just thinking that Larry had to try this whole, pull on the stuff, and poor Rita just. Larry, it doesn't work. It doesn't what are you work. Doing? Larry. What are you doing? Stop it, Larry. Why are you pulling on my Larry? <laughs> and yet, Larry, Larry also had a black eye. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, you know uh, the makeup, the makeup man. The next night on the news, what happened? N nothing. Just, nothing. Just make sure it looks good. Walked into a door. That's right, exactly. So, <laughs> twenty years ago, but yeah, Usher is halftime, and we look forward to the game itself. Chiefs and Niners uh, out in Vegas. Um, by the time this show, as we do tape it ahead of time, I'll actually be in Vegas. Uh, our thirtieth anniversary coming up in April. We're going to see Bruno Mars uh, this weekend. So, oh, I love Bruno Mars. Yeah, my wife awesome. does too. I may not make it to 31 years. We'll see what happens. Keep her away from the backstage. No, just kidding. Um, hey, but the game, Niners, Chiefs, give me give me your thoughts. What do you think? I, I'll go with the, I, I just think, I'm. I, it's hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes, so I yeah. got to go with the Chiefs. Although, yeah. if I were, if I, if Patrick Mahomes was not on the other side, and was just a guy who had his stats for this season, I would pick the Niners. But since I know it's Patrick Mahomes, I'm picking the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I look. I said a few weeks ago that Patrick Mahomes, he's not the biggest quarterback. He's not the got the strongest arm, you know, the fastest guy. But basically, he is the Captain America of of quarterbacks, and Captain America always finds a way to win. And I'm sorry, but I'm not putting money up against him. And I think if he wins this Super Bowl, I think he'll be right there with Tom Brady winning like three Super Bowls in his first six seasons, something like that. So he'll be keeping pace. Now, I have no idea how you maintain that pace over the years, but I didn't think anybody could start off as good as Tom Brady did either. Yeah, no question. And you lose your offensive coordinator, right? Different guy. Biennemi went to Washington. And on top of that, um, his big money's kicked in. And we all said, oh, with that kind of salary, you can't build a team around you to win. And yet, here they are. They're they're right there. And by the way, hats off to Vegas. I did a story on CNN back in 2007. The question was, can pro sports play in Vegas? And a true story, the people there in Vegas, the people that, move, that make the decisions, you know, 
they were convinced and they convinced me. And here's what's scary. They talked about, they said, one day we will host a Super Bowl and you'll be able to vote on the game from a device right there at your seat. Now, this is years before the iPhone. This is back when if you had a flip phone, you were, you know, a cool guy. Kind of scary that the future is now 2024. We are here. Um, our future actually is in next week's show because we're out of time. We appreciate all the guests who came by. Man, we had a great time talking to everybody. Great time with you as well. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, enjoy that weather if it's nice where you are. We'll see you right back here. Same time next week. This has been a presentation of LMBC Sports LLC and Revision Sound. We'll be back next week on Big Sports Radio Network.